The GGBC is brought to you by GG Poker. It's the world's biggest online poker room. They have more players than any other site and it's designed to bring back the fun to poker. They've got the classics like Texas Hold'em and Omaha with games for all skill levels. Yeah, Deck loves Bounty Hunter. Yes, I do. And GG Poker has games that you won't find anywhere else. They run huge tournaments with big prize pools. And George, did you know they actually hold the Guinness World Record for the largest prize pool for an online poker tournament? What about if you're a new player? Well, George, I'm glad you asked. If you're new to GG Poker, when you make your first deposit of at least £10, you'll get £60 in free play. No wonder they've got more players than any other site. You've got to be 18 or over, and this offer is for new UK players only. Minimum deposit is £10. Full T's and C's apply. BeGambleAware.org. Please play responsibly. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperice.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. This is a crowd podcast. My story is so unbelievable that it sounds unbelievable. Was there a relief there for it being over or was it grief? With Rob and on GB, were you sparring front? Do you wish you didn't have that anymore? I finally had the team that would have taken me to the top. Let's get on with it. I'm George. He's Deck. Hello. It's the George Groves Boxing Club. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, George. How are you? I am energised from the review show Monday. Ooh. We are here Wednesday, regular programming. And before we get into it, I've just got to say, have you got everyone in your contact book to vote for us for the awards we've been nominated for? I've been working through people. I've been working through steadily, systematically breaking them down and then making them vote for us. I've been swapping them for limericks and haikus. So anyone who votes and can prove it, I'll write them a haiku or a limerick. So we are up for best combat sports and best sports talk in the category oh, yeah. for the old podcast awards so the link to vote is in uh, our link tree on the socials so get in there do it uh, you might have to register you might have to put an email address in find our category vote for us send us proof You'll be in with a chance to win a signed GGBC water bowl. And when I say signed, I mean I'll sign it, Deck will sign it. Tell us if there's, even if there's someone not affiliated with the club at all and you want us to get him to sign it, we will get him or her or them to sign it. It says here, George, in bold, need you lot to buy more water bottles. But it did make me think, I haven't had a jumper, so they probably sold all them, but there might be a couple left over, but they, so they don't want to give them out. But the water bottles, we've got a couple more. They are stellar. What a week, George, for the club. We kicked off uh, Monday review show. 
The clocks have changed. The sun is out. We've been nominated for awards. We've all made it en masse as a club. And now we are standing at the foot of our 50th episode in the GGBC. It's, it's a monumental moment for all of us here at the GGBC. There was no doubts who would get here, but it feels like it's come around real quick. And I think that's just a sign of how much I've enjoyed recording with you, Deck, and loved all the guests we've had on that have been wonderful. As it being our special 50th episode, what have we had made? Oh, well, now this is, there's big things afoot in this club generally. So watch this space. But one thing that we can definitely announce today is that one of our truly elite club members, Jonathan Woodward, who is an illustrator, you might, might have seen the, the work he did with Dimitri Bivol. Um, Bivol, obviously our fighter of the year. He has done us a poster with all of our guests. Like it is, I, I, you can't really do it justice with the description here. It is insanely good. Also, Deck, he's fighting this weekend. He's got his own white qualifier coming up April 1st. And that's not uh, a joke. He's uh, so we wish him luck. Yeah, he's going to make the other geezer look like a fool. Has there been any elite club members involved this week, Deck? Maybe they've got some insight for Woodward. Elite club members have been flying in thick and fast with comments. One of them, Kev James. I don't know why, but we love people with two first names. And Kev James is one of them, one of the best. I had to message just to say how much I love the pod. It's a proper breath of fresh air in a saturated market, but it also keeps me alive on the A13 on my way home from work at 5am. Oh, I love that. What's the chances of getting Ben Shalom in and finding out how he got to where he has? Firstly, pause there. Absolutely very high. We're working on Ben Shalom. Back to Kev. Also, just heard about the merch. If I let George punch me square in the face, can I have a hoodie, please? Crying, laughing emoji. Keep up the great work, fellas. You are smashing this game. Right with Ben Shalom. We need to get him on. He started doing more and more media now. So, um, And he started to drop the shoulders, relax a bit. Because this is a friendly pod. We're not here to throw him under the bus and ask for uh, ask the difficult questions. Like, why hasn't this fight been made or what about this? And that we're figuring out what angle we want to come out with Ben, what and also what he wants to talk about. But Ben's going to be on real soon. And in terms of um, getting some merch, I don't punch for free. That was that's the whole point of retirement. I'd rather not, to be honest, Kev. <laughs> and also. I could whack a bit of super middleweight. I can probably punch a little bit harder. Mass moves mass. I'm about 105 kilo now, mate. I'm about I'm a solid solid heavyweight. I've been shredding, so uh, I'm only like two percent body fat. I'll tell you who used to get punched by me. Who used to punch me? Go on. It's the governor, Anthony Agogo. 50th episode is up. Antnia Gogo, the dirty double with Antnia Gogo, a pro wrestler. We're 50 not out. We still don't know what Arvin weighs, George, but we've made many inroads in other avenues. And what better way than bring in Antnia Gogo, get our first wrestler and get the club's official governor. Today, Deck, we have a Olympian in the club. He was a golden boy fighter. He is a professional wrestler and he's been on Big Brother. Of course, it's none other than Anthony Agogo. Yeah. yeah. We've we got a sound effect. The noise, the noise. Let me, let me, let me the tell cheers. you. Anthony, thanks for coming on the show, mate. Thanks, thanks. for joining the club. We've been trying to get you on for so yeah. long, but you're an international superstar now. You're <laughs> back and forth. Superstar, megastar, all the stars. All <laughs> yeah. the stars. But yeah, you've been top top of the list because this episode is going to be a special one, isn't it, George? Because, in fact, you could probably tell us this officially. Has anyone else been a professional boxer from this country and then gone into professional wrestling? Yeah, you know, a couple, you know. Um, you'll, you'll laugh. Randolph Turpin. 
Turpin. Did he? Did he have a wrestle? Did a bit, did a bit of wrestling after becoming Randy world champion. Turpin. Yeah, yeah. In boxing, uh, no, Sugar Ray Robinson. He, he done a bit of uh, yeah, wrestling back in the 50s. Yeah. We'll get on to, I'll tell you what, we'll get on to wrestling in a bit. But let's start, George, with a bit of bit of boxing chat and let's go back to when you really broke through into kind of the mainstream as a boxer and that was at the Olympics mm-hmm. that was 2012 so 10 years over oh, more than 20 11 years, 10 years ago, 11 years ago yeah. have passed since then does it feel like another lifetime I feel like a different person and it's an Olympics for me I don't this is obviously a fun happy chatty podcast I don't want to kind of bring the tone down too much but Olympics for me was the hardest time in my life my mum was really ill uh, my mum had a, a brain aneurysm five weeks before the Olympic Games. She was in a coma throughout the whole Olympics. She had three surgeries on her brain in those two and a half weeks. I snuck out the village three times in total, twice during the Olympics and once after the, I got beat in the semi-final. Snuck out the village in Stratford. I got the tube from Stratford to Wanstead where I parked my car. Drove to Adam Books in Cambridge, hour and a half up the M11. I flirted with a nurse to kind of get me into the into the ward. When I go see my mum, I stroked her hair, I held her hand. I never thought I was going to see her again or speak to her again. So I went through the whole Olympic journey. So like the best time of my life, the thing that me and Georgia trained years and years and years for, the Olympic Games, which is the pinnacle for me. It was the best time of my life then. Watch my mom. I'm a huge mummy's boy. Like I'm, I'm an only boy. I've got four sisters. It was really hard. It was, really, it, was, it was a strange time for me really because it was the best time of my life and it was the worst time of my life. All kind of like, you know, just marinated in one. It was, it was difficult. I remember I sat, so I was with my mum for four weeks. I was in the... In Allenbrook, so I had a little bed and breakfast. So before Airbnbs, I was in the old school, just bed and breakfast. <laughs> and then I'd all but pulled out of the Olympic Games because how could I go and focus on the Olympics when my mum was was lying in the hospital bed? Never thought I'd see her again. And then my wife, my girlfriend at the time, my wife, my four sisters, they guilt tripped me. They said, when mum gets better, that none of us thought she was going to get better at this point. She was in a really bad place. And I said, when she gets better, she's going to feel awful knowing that you pulled out of the Olympic Games because of her. And as at the time, I was at home still. I was driving to Sheffield on a Monday. She still made me like a little pack lunch <laughs> on the way up. I was a white mummy's boy. And then, um, and they were right. And, and in a small, tiny, minute chance she was going to survive, her knowing that I pulled out of the game, that would have killed her. We had one week of training left in Sheffield. Went to training on the Monday night. I missed the Monday training because we were all day on a Monday. Then we had a family and friends day. So all my family were in the hospital when my mum was still looking after the kids. And everybody else had their family and friends like in the gym, like watching them train their last while before going to Stratford on the Thursday. And I was sparring with Fred Evans and I haven't thrown a punch in a month. And I've been for a run, hadn't done a sit-up. I was a big middleweight and I was walking around like 72 kilos because I wasn't eating. I was sick with worry. Oh, my mum's next of kin as well. So they called me a few times early hours in the morning asking to do like, oh, so this happened once, so not a few times. They called me once at three in the morning, looked at my phone and I said, Adam Brooks. And I thought, this is the call, like telling me she's dead. And I was scared to answer. And my wife held my hand and I answered my girlfriend at the time of, and I answered the phone and they said, she's got a really big pressure build up on the brain and we've got to do an emergency surgery. We've got to insert a stent and, and it's really dangerous. We need authority to do it because it might not, she might not be there at the end of the surgery. And I said, yeah, just do, do the fucking surgery. Do the surgery. And then, um, so yeah, my phone was on me the whole time. So I sparred Fred Evans. My phone was on my, in my pocket in case they called me. Hand thrown a punch in the month. I come out, the bell's gone. Fred, right, lovely that he was so Great good, fighter. man. Yeah. He was so good. He won so silver in, in London. He won silver. He, he was so good. He was just innately lazy. He <laughs> was <Just> like, <laughs> unbelievable. Him, the, the only person I've seen who's more talented than him or trained with, Andrew Selby. But the coaches, Bob McCracken and Dave Attaway figured out if we're on him, he's going to win a medal. If you're not on him, 
is going to get knocked out because he was he blew hot and cold and the family and friends today and as you can imagine right Fred Evans his family full of travellers they're all around the ring giving them out like, <laughs> <laughs> like it's a world title fight I didn't want to be there after a sloppy jab he slips out cracks into the rib and he breaks my rib oh, yeah. and dislocates my rib and somehow I got through the spa the reason why I'm telling this story because I got through the spa my shoulder was dislocated it'd come out just before it had surgery hadn't healed it and it was it was sub-locks it was like half dislocated I had 10 and my Achilles attendants, both of them, which would require four surgeries the following years and two years out of the ring, had a broken rib and I sat on a ring apron. I knew that was broken from the very beginning. I knew that was broken from the second the punch hit. And I sat on a ring apron and I, as George will tell you, I sweat a lot when I train and I was sweating profusely and the, the, the grease on my eyebrows and it's kind of masqueraded my tears. So I was crying my eyes out. The Rob McCracken comes over to me, right? And he he, try, <laughs> he tries to do this rousing speech. <laughs> right? And he comes over and says to me, he says, Tone. He goes, right, Tone, right, Tone. He said, Tone, listen, mate. He said, uh, we all go through tough times in life. And sometimes, like, shit things happen. You just got to go with it. And I stood there and my ribs fucking kidding me. My shoulder's kidding me. My kiddies are kidding me and my mum's going to fucking die. And he got Rob saying, he goes, uh, it's a long time ago when Carl Foch had his first world title fight against uh, Pascal. My mum collapsed on the morning of the fight. He said, I had a choice. I could be with her in the hospital or I could, like, take Carl to the world title. And he said, I chose to take Carl to the world title and, and, and he won the fight and now look at Carl, he's got a big house, he's, he's a world champion. And I sat there and he didn't know that I knew, but I knew his mum died. His mum died that day and that is like four credits to Robin Kraken for taking Carl. And that one. But his mum died that day and I thought, my mum's going to die. And that was my Olympics and I boxed three days later. At the end of the games on a Saturday morning, on the four days on a Saturday morning. Yeah, it was it, it was a tough time, mate. It was a tough mm. time, but um, I got through it. I got a medal and yeah, you know, I didn't get the medal I wanted to get or I thought I deserved or could have got, should have got. But um, no, I've got, I've got a great story to tell and I have got something from the Olympics that I'm very proud of. Mm. So you mentioned you and George been training together. So you've known each other for donkey's years, like well before 2012 then, you were so, amateurs together. Yeah, it wasn't GB, it was England. So mm. you used to box for England back then. 2004, we went nearly 20 went to years Texas, ago. Didn't we? I think that was your first big tournament. First one. We went to, to Finland. Oh, you came Finland, to Finland. First one, Finland one. And then we went to Texas and they called it the Junior Olympics. I was like, oh, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. A go-go at the time. I think you only had like four bouts. It's like ridiculous. You hadn't Man. had a lot of fights. But yeah, that was sort of a go-go's coming out party. He won gold. Old. And Luke Campbell. Campbell. And Campbell. Luke Campbell yeah. Yeah. See, when I think of you in terms of your pals from the amateurs, I always think of you and Campbell, as in Anthony Gogo and Luke Campbell. It was, seems like yeah, that, but was, that was that was our, that was our era, my era. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're the same age, so we went on tournaments together. And Gogo was a year younger than me, so he would sort of fluctuate between. He was cadet and, and an extra year, say, and then he called us up like Young England which is under 19 then you went ahead again and I had to catch up yeah <laughs> so he was with Obed Mwango and Kaliafai uh, so you guys all won gold in London didn't you for the first world Connect World Liverpool, Liverpool. Yeah. their treat for going was they got a trip to Cuba and I was like I'm going on that fucking trip <laughs> and then I remember going again like basically I snuck in like, like a couple of weeks because Obed, Obed got marked so, so what it was it was, it was me me and Canada won gold Obed got a bronze and Michael Hadfield got a silver and our treat for getting medals in the world was going to Cuba training with the the best boxers in the world and Obed got mumps I mean you you nicked this <laughs> you nicked this spot you nicked this spot <laughs> yeah, yeah. there you go savage and he was a great he, Obed was a great uh, guy to go on trips with because he'd bring sweets in his bags his bag 18 kilo bag 14 kilos for the sweets <laughs> and why being there so post Olympic post 2012 at what point did you turn 
gone over because obviously a uh, medal, any colour, is big currency at that point and obviously it's such a buzz after London. What point did you turn over? I'll be very honest, I didn't want to turn pro. I never I never saw myself, I remember going on, um, on we'd go on trips and we'd be talking and George would be talking about like turning pro and I wasn't fussed. If I'd won a gold medal in London, I probably, it's hard to say what you would have done because like if I'm a, if I'm Olympic champion and someone's offered me like millions of pounds to turn pro, I'm probably going to turn pro. But I was never bothered about it. Didn't really appeal to me that much as a kid really. I was like, I wanted to win the Olympic Games. And it was like, I wouldn't have focused on anything after that. That was my only focus. And the only reason why I didn't stay for four more years is because my mum was very ill, as I've said. The Olympics and my mum's illness was synonymous with each other. And I couldn't separate it. And I didn't want to go through four more years of boxing Lithuania and getting bashed up by Cubans and doing the whole weight thing and signing a contract to stay within 5% of your of your fight weight, which is just fucking you know, living a life on a diet, on squad, away from my family, earning. I would have been on Class A funding, which was the top fund. I think it's like 22 grand a year tax free. And that was great. I went to the games. I was on level T fund and I was on a grand a month. I was on a joined of GB squad in 2010. They've been on a trial for six months. My trial I was on 411 pounds a month. We're so poor. <laughs> my mum raised me on her own, me and four sisters on her own. I've got five, five kids, my mum. We're so poor that I got 411 pounds a month. And I thought I'd made it. I was getting paid to box my country and travel the world. I thought I was the most luckiest man in the world. But eventually you get older and you, you want stuff and you realize, oh, 400 pounds, I can't do anything for 400 pounds a month. So I thought, I'm going to change my goal. My next goal, the next Olympic gold medal is going to be the world title. And that was then, and that was that decision, made a decision about September, and I signed the contract Christmas time with Golden Boy in December. So for the listeners who don't know, Golden Boy, obviously, Oscar De La Hoya's promotional company. So American-based. So basically, if you sign, if you turn over with Golden Boy, you're a big deal. Oscar De La Hoya is so nice. Like, if I take him now, he gets brought back to me. He's my favorite fighter of the of the 2000s. He's been nothing but such a sweet, nice man to me. He sent me a video on the day when I got married. But I joined Richard Schaefer. Richard Schaefer was in charge of Golden Boy at the time. And Richard Schaefer was essentially what Richard Schaefer was doing, wanted to do back in 2012. He wanted to create a Golden Golden Boy UK and essentially what Matchroom have done in the USA and I haven't I haven't had my fingers in, in boxing for a few years now so I'm a little bit off because I haven't been following it as closely because it was triggering for me for a while which I'm sure we'll talk about later but um, what I gather was Richard Schaefer wanted to do a Golden Boy UK and he wanted me a small selection of fighters to be like the face of Golden Boy UK and he was talking to BT before BT was BT and he basically wanted to yeah, rival Sky and Matchroom by have BT and be you know, Golden Boy be the the promoter from BT and you know, he sold me this this dream and I'm sure the dream was going to come off Richard Schaefer is a fantastic phenomenal great businessman and I'm sure the dream was going to come off so yeah I was, I was fully invested and I, I joined him and I met Warren uh, Eddie Hearn um, but I was blown away by Ricky Hatton um, he was doing his punch promotions at the time but yeah Richard Schaefer really blew me away and I loved what he wanted to do I loved the concept and I signed with him and in a few fights later him and Oscar had a massive row Oscar sacked him and all of a sudden I'm that footballer that's been signed by the manager for 100 million a new gaffer's come in doesn't really fancy me so I, I'm not really my signing I don't, I'm not that bothered and the whole thing is I was going to stay in the UK they were going to build me up in the UK I was going to be based in the UK and Golden Boy UK was going to be me and 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 the team was going to expand over time and then Oscar said yeah I don't want to do the UK thing so if you want to come to the US I go we'll build you over here but yeah I don't want to do the UK thing 
And I was like, oh, I've just signed a five-year deal with your business partner on the pretense that I can stay here, be built up here. I was going to become a star here and then go to the US and fight the Canelos and the this and the that. Go back to the drawing board, how are we going to work out? But I really liked Golden Boy. I liked the model. I wanted to be part of that. I was very committed. I was, I'm a very, I've had the same partner since I was 14 years old. I'm very loyal. I've been with them from to, to the end. But um, yeah, things just didn't work out. Then I got injured. And I thought by the time I come back from this injury, that I figure that stuff out. Then I did. Then I get injured again. <laughs> by the time I get from this injury, that I figure that stuff out. And then I get injured again, then I never boxed again. Before I retired, so um, that's what it was. So Sourland. So Sourland like, bought half my contract. And then when I actually retired, I was co-promoted by Sourland and Golden. I remember Boy. that, yeah. And that would have been great for me because... I could have boxed, you know, in the UK and Europe. I could have boxed in America. I had like a, you know, a foot each side of the Atlantic. And that would have been really good for me. And I really liked Nessa, really liked Keller. Uh, really, I, me and Oscar had a good relationship. Yeah, and then unfortunately I got injured and never boxed again. And I never kind of got to fulfill, um, you know, the the ability that I had, the determination that I had, and you know, the promotional outfit that you know, I eventually maneuvered into a position that I liked. Never got to do what they can do. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. There was talk that Bernard Hopkins was going to be your trainer. Remember that talk? Yeah, so Bernard, so he never he wasn't going to train me, but he was he was going to be like my mentor. Ah, uh, that's the one. Uh, a yeah, tall, yeah. no, tall, wiry middleweight. Yeah, he was the. I watched, so I watched more Bernard Hopkins than anybody else in that period from 2012 to 2016. My pro career is three years. In that three years, I was out for ten months because of the shoulder. I was out for a year with um, with my kiddies. Exactly a year. Then my first fight back, my shoulder came out, out for 10 more months. My career was so short. I had a three-year career and for half and for almost two of those years, I was injured. I had a one-year pro career. Got to be a bit careful with my trainers because I don't want to get people in trouble. But like, I was kind of, I don't say I was lied to, but like, you know, I trained with Rob McCracken like he did with Joshua, but he couldn't do my corner because 
kind of went against a GB contract. I was trying with him, but kind of trained myself, trying to Graham Everett and Norwich. And he was really good. Graham Everett, really, he's a brilliant, brilliant coach. I trained with him, but not really because he was training these boxes. And while he trained me when he's training Liam Walsh for a European title, and I, <laughs> madly enough, I had a physio and I did more pads with him. And he was a, he was a boxing fan. And like, I had an injury in my shoulder. We rehabbed my shoulder by doing like little punches on the pads. And then we kind of built being like, He's my pad man. And that was weird. Like, he'd come and watch me train and then pad me. You know, again, it's hindsight, right? But I wish I could have said, Graham Everett, you can be my coach. And then at the end of my career, so when I'd already hurt my eye, so by this point, I already hurt my eye. I hurt my eye in 2016 and all 2017 and 18, I trained. For two years, I drove from my house in Essex to Hammersmith and trained with George's old guy, Barry, Barry O'Connell. And I trained with him for two years. I did that three, four days a week. So I always thought I was going to box again. I always, I was adamant I was going to box again. I never thought my eye was going to curtail my career, end my career. And I trained with Barry and we had this connection, me and him. I was so happy with the team I had. I finally had a great SNC, two SNC coaches that were bringing in Paul Jarvis and Dave Davis and Barry. My physio has always been great anyway. I finally had the team that would have taken me to the top because I also trained with Virgil Hunter. Virgil Hunter begged me in 2014, he begged me to stay in America and he was, I was going to be his last protege. And I thought, oh, fuck. And then I, I came back to the UK to train with, with Rob because he kind of told me that he would leave the GB. All this different stuff. And like, my eye could have went in the next fight anyway. No one knows what could have happened. I could have went to Oakland in California where Virgil lives and walked across the road and looked the wrong way because you know, they drive on the different and got hit by a car and, and be dead. Like, you never know what could have happened. Mm. But what was great about Virgil? Sorry, Ant. Tell us, like, so obviously you see him and he talks so well, but so does Rob McCracken. He's a great talker. What did you enjoy with, with Virgil? They're the two best coaches I've ever trained with, Robin and Virgil. And I trained with Rob for a number of years and trained with Virgil for two and a half weeks. He was a great man manager, Virgil. I put a lot of pressure on myself. The more I was injured and the more I was seeing people succeed, like yourself, and I was really happy for you. People like Callum Smith, who was like, you know, on the squad with me. These, these people were doing really well. And I was like, no matter being happy for you, I was still not jealous because jealous is the wrong word. But I was every, I was envious and I was- I would I would be jealous if, if I was having injury. So it's, yeah. not, it's not something to be ashamed I think, of. No, no, not be ashamed, but like jealousy is an, is an ugly trait. Just extreme frustration. And when I see people like, like I've told a story before and I mean, no, no, but Callum Smith was my number two on the GB squad. He was my reserve boxer to the point where they told him he's not going as a middleweight. If you want to go to a qualifier, go up a weight. So he jumped up a weight and like he got on to have like loads of success. And I'm thinking oh, like at the very least, that's my level, the very least. But I was better than him. They sent me with one arm to the qualifier rather than him with two arms. But I see these people having like great success and I was getting so wound up and I put so much pressure on myself anyway. Like I didn't need a coach to put pressure on me. And with McCracken, I'd be on the pads of him and he'd kind of half dig me out a little bit. And I was like, and I'm already digging myself out and I'd leave training like pissed off a lot of the time. And he trained everybody. He, he had great success with Carl Foch and he trained everybody like he trained Carl Foch. It's not a one size fits all. People's different. No matter you work in a podcast studio or in a boxing gym, everyone's different you know, and they, they need different stimulus. And I'm on the pads with, with Virgil and I couldn't get the combination, wherever it was, I, I just couldn't get it. And I'm like, fuck's sake, I start swearing. I start getting annoyed with myself. Fucking hell. He went, whoa, he said, what, what are you doing? Oh, I can't, I can't get it. He went, and getting angry with yourself is going to make you get it. I went, probably. <laughs> he, said, <laughs> he went, he said, he said, why'd you box? I didn't understand the question. So we said, when you were, when you were 12, when you walked into the boxing gym and it was sweaty and smelly and there was like blood and stuff, like, why did you stay? Why'd you come back? I went, 
I loved it. He went, you should love this. You should enjoy this. This is fun. This is fun. If this isn't fun, you're doing the wrong thing. And I was like, I was really caught off guard. I was like, oh, okay. He went, drop your hands. So I dropped my hand, shake him out. He said, smile. <laughs> was a little weird. When a grown man is telling you to smile, I was doing a weird, like, like a pirate smile. He went to smile. And then he cracked the joke and I actually smiled. He was like, hands up, let's go. Nailed it. Nailed the combo, which I'd messed up 20 times before. He went, see? All right. And then I had fun the rest of the session. Fucking brilliant. One of the best sessions of my life. I just learned so much of that one thing. I thought, wow, this man is like, he's a genius. And everything like followed that. And then like, he loves an analogy. And I say this again, I'm not, Robert McCracken is an unbelievable coach. Unbelievable. So good, man. He's unbelievable good. The analogy I'd give is like, let's say I've got to get to six. And in Rob's way, it's three plus three. That's the way you get to six. I don't understand three plus three for whatever reason. I might have to go uh, five plus one. You still get the six, still get the answer in the end, but I get there a different way and he wouldn't let me get there a different way. And it was like where Verge was really good. He was like, doesn't care. I don't care if we do 14 take, what's that, eight? <laughs> 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 whatever the fuck is. Yeah. But again, eight. As long as you get the six, I don't care how you get there. And I really, I like that way. I like his, like his demeanor. I regret not not taking the chance of going over there and, and training with him full time. But who was in the gym? What fighters were in the gym at the time? Uh, Ward's still there? Ward's all good. He, he was there. Um, Angulo, remember yeah, Angulo? Alfredo Angulo. Alfredo Angulo. Alfredo. He was in and out. Yeah. Khan was there. Nicola Adams was training there. Tony Yoko was yeah. there. Tony Yoko was there. It's and a funny old gym as well, isn't it? It's like out in the kind of industrial estate. Like a, yeah, like in a Haywood. Bo- a yeah, in Haywood. Yeah, in Haywood. Yeah, a big box. And it was like, it was strange. It wasn't that inspiring, but it was inspiring. And he had like a lot of club, a couple of amateurs. And he just trained people that he liked. He trained people that he could work with style-wise, personality-wise. With Rob and on GB, were you sparring Frotch? Yeah, for, for, yeah, 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 yeah. I text George once. I went, George, I'm really sorry, mate, but I got a spot for on your first fight. But as in prep for George. Yeah, and he was like, no, I don't give a fuck, mate. I was like, yeah, but I feel bad because you know he's like one of my best mates in boxing. He's like, mate, I really don't care. <laughs> he's like, okay, sweet. But I, I sparred Frotch from 2010 to whose career ended first? His career, I think, two thousand. Yeah, his 2010 to whenever he retired. I was right, probably his, after his, the, his main after Wembley. Wow, so how often are you sparring him then? When, when he was in camp? Every week. Wow. Basically every week. How much did he pay you? They didn't go on GB What squads. a bastard. <laughs> <laughs> nah, you, you, should, you should be getting 50 yeah, pound petrol, quid. even though you just got to walk across the road. Frotch is tight as fuck. So like Rob always said, well, he's the tightest man, he's the tightest man in the world. I swear on my life, he's just bought beauty, I think, and earned millions. I rely on there, on there. We just sparred me and him. He'd give me great advice as well. He's really good, real good. I like, I like, I like him a lot. He's he's, he's a really good boxer. and um, Financial advice. He did, he once he said to me, he went, he, he, he's so tight. He's trying he's to show so you his gloves and boots. He, he said to me, no, to be fair to Frotch, he gave me some Lonsdale boxes. Boxes. He, came, he, he, he was responsible for Lonsdale for a bit. Yeah, he was, yeah, yeah. And he came to training and, I've, uh, and I was like, I was on 400 pounds a month for skin, proper skin. And I got these shitty, but I had holes in my pants. And he went to me, you got holes in your pants. Oh, mate, fucking hell. I got your Range Rover outside. You had a, you had a Carl Frost number plate. Oh, no, right. And I was, that was, that was it, right? That was it. And then the next day he comes, he goes, yeah, mate, do you want some of them? And it's like three pack of Lonsdale, which he definitely got given free. He didn't buy it for me. He definitely got them free. But I was like, oh, cheers, mate. But yeah, we, we sparred one day. See, that's the side of Frost people don't get to see. No, he's giving out Lonsdale boxes. Yeah. He was on the, on the blue mat stretching after sparring one day. He gave me a little, some, some boxing tips. And he goes to me, oh, do you know what? I mean, what? He went, you never fucking guess how much lion bars are now. He went, 86 fucking P. 
It's a fucking joke. It's fucking limpy. I thought, you've just earned millions of pounds boxing Lucian Butte. And it's complained about 80. There's less than a quid. You're fucking liberty. Then another day he said to me, he went, do you know what? He said, if, if, if banks go bust, all they do is give you like from like 26 grand. I'm, like, well, I'm on 411 pounds a month. He goes to me, yeah. So if I've got all my money in this one bank, if the bank goes bust, all I get is I'm insured for like twenty six grand or something. He said, "I'm gonna, I'm probably gonna get ten different banks and put twenty six grand in my mate, fucking hell, <laughs> Jesus Christ!" But that's why he's, that's why he's got a lot of money. Yeah, he's still got his money and uh, he plans ahead. Congratulations, Carl. Uh, any financial advice? Um, we didn't get into that with Ivan, no. so we should have maybe. He did mention on. how much the lower pack is. Remember that. We won't go into that, but in our pod, he mentioned how expensive lower pack is. £4.54, he said. £54! £4.54 to the penny. Um, so, how many professional fights did you have before you actually I think I had 12. Yeah. I think I had Over 12. the course of one year fight, active, actually. Yeah, so yeah, my yeah. first fight, yeah. My first fight, 2013, when I retired uh, six years later in 2019, but I had 12, 12 fights. Um, but yeah, my first fight was April, and April 27, 2013. I boxed May and then I boxed, I think, in December, then the following March, in July. My Achilles was so sore, had a whole year out, had surgery on them, didn't work, both of them, didn't work, resurgery, worked my ass off to get back. I boxed the following July, my shoulder come out, um, out for 10 months, so they strictly done just to earn some money, so I was, I was skin, I had no money, and I boxed, and then I come back, had three fights, and then I fought Cunningham in October, never boxed again, and I gave it everything i never cheated anything illegal i never missed a day training i gave him my all i gave him my absolute all and he repaid me like that <laughs> but listen that's it's, it's life right it's life and you know it, it happens i was very unfortunate but i've been very fortunate in other aspects of my life so it kind of balances itself out you know and um, say fortunate i mean i've got a great family people love me some people get poor into abject poverty and have parents that molest him and his whole upbringings. I had a mum and four sisters that that would do anything for me, and I would do anything for them. Had an amazing girlfriend, amazing wife. So I'm very, very lucky. So between the Cunningham fight, so the final fight of your career and retiring, there was actually a big spell where you were just plugging almost, away. Almost three years, yeah, yeah every single day. Just going and paying money and seeing specialists and doing well, everything I, to get back. I had seven surgeries in that period. Wow. I had seven surgeries, four in America. The four in America alone cost me 100 grand. I didn't earn 100 grand in my boxing career. And the four surgeries alone cost me 100 grand. And I had three in the UK. And then I retired. When I retired, I had two more surgeries, which I've never really spoken about. So I've had nine in total, or two more surgeries. Once I already retired as like last, last rolls of the dice. When the pressure is off and everyone thinks I'm retired anyway, let's just try this. And I got droopy eyelid, as you see. And the eyelid pushed down on the on the eyeball. So if, if I lift the eyelid and release the muscle up here, my left eye moves really slow now. My left eye is the nerve is damaged, hence the, the blindness in my eye. The nerve is really significantly damaged. And I was thinking, if I can, the weight of the eyeball, or putting pressure on the eye, maybe that's one of the reasons why it moves slower. And as the move slower is one, there's different issues in my eye now because there's so much that's happened to it. But the movement of the eye is one of the reasons why I can't get in the ring. If, if I alleviate the pressure, maybe it can, like, it can fire faster. So I had two more surgeries. Um, didn't work because the damage to the nerve means that, the, as you can see, the eyelid still droops. So it's always going to droop on the eye because of stuff. So, so yeah, so it was, I trained for two years. As I said, I drove from Essex to West London every single day. I trained my ass off. I stayed within my weight. I was like I was training for the world title because 
you know, I generally thought I was going to box again. And I was um, you know, having meetings with Golden Boy in, in Sourland and, and planning prospective fights. So I'll, I can box there. And so after the seventh surgery, I sparred. That's when it was over for me. It wasn't that I couldn't do. I just had the last surgery. I trained for 16 weeks, pads, all the hard shit. And then I sparred this lad. And then without knowing, I sparred really well. I sparred because I was in great shape. I hadn't sparred in two and a half years, but I was in really good shape and I sparred well. But at one point at the spa, the lad was here and then he was here and he'd hit me and I had no idea. I had no idea. I had no idea of that. And he'd gone from there and he'd hit me. It wasn't even a big punch. It, it just hit me. And Barry was really happy with the spa. And I was driving home thinking, ah, oh, that, that one moment. Maybe I can train it. Maybe I can train the eye firing that way. Maybe something, the more I do it, the better it gets. And it was a Friday night and I went home and I went to bed. My wife was with her friends that weekend. I was by myself. I was thinking about the spa in bed and I woke up, let's say, vision 10 out of 10. There's like a, 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 a chart. So like one up to 10 and eyes got to be 10 to box. My eyes have been gone from, from one to six to four to over the surgeries. And after that last surgery, it cost me $40,000, $47,000 that last surgery in Boston. They bought it on both my eyes at the same time. Let's say I got up to like a seven and prior to that, it was down at a, a four. So I spent $47,000 taking my eyes from a four to a seven, hoping that like time the seven would creep up to like an eight and a nine maybe a ten i woke up I went to bed that night i woke up the next morning and my eye had gone down to a two all the improvement that had happened in that final surgery was undone in one spa because the nerve is damaged and nerves like muscles heal nerves don't heal and then one punch took away all the, all the improvement i'd made and the 47 grand one not just down the drain but yeah the eye just yeah just fucked it's just it's damaged in different planes and fields and stuff so yeah it was um it was that so it wasn't even a case i can i can try because now my eyes worse than before and every punch i take on it it gets worse and worse and worse and it doesn't doesn't heal because it's the, the nerve which is damaged rather than the, uh, the the muscles. So yeah, a bit of a nightmare. When you finally maybe realized or just come to terms with the fact that sigh ain't gonna work, you know, was there a relief there for it being over or was it like grief? Just pure pain and grief. And you say come to terms. I still genuinely, I still genuinely think oh, I can give it a go. I can give a go. Maybe I should do like an unlicensed boxing fight or like a bare knuckle boxing fight. I've been asked to do a few in America. Maybe I can do that and nick a few grand from doing that. It's not even about the money. It's not, it's not about it's about I just want to fight. I just want to box. That's, that's all I want to do is fight. That's all I like. Wrestling is great and we'll talk about it later, I'm sure. But I just want to fight. That's all. And so I'm still going to come to terms with it, George. I'm still not, I'm still not there. But having to retire, it was, there was no really. Duncan said to me, when uh, one of our agents, he says, uh, you must feel some relief now. So I feel nothing but pain. In a weird thing, those two and a half, three years of me chasing this dream, I didn't enjoy any of it. It was horrible, but I liked the chase. It's like being a boxer before you come to our champion, it's the chase. The chase is quite exciting. It's sexy. It gets you out of bed in the morning. The thing I wanted to do, which is boxing, now that's gone, I'm not chasing anything anymore. The chase is gone. I felt like I had nothing. I felt my life was over. It's horrible. Do you like being sad about not boxing anymore do you like that feeling still in your belly that you know it's still so you still got affection you still got un, unwavering love for, for boxing or do you wish you didn't have that anymore i wish i could watch a boxing match and just watch a boxing match like i watch a snooker game don't know why i said snooker <laughs> i don't know where's the game from and and you're right when i watch snooker i don't get looking <laughs> <laughs> pissed off that's the thing i don't i wish i could just watch it and just just watch it and enjoy and be happy for it. not even but i still i'm still at a place where like i, I can watch some boxing now i couldn't watch anything before 
I still feel somewhat resentful for it because it's taken away so much of my life. And until I'm at a place where I'm happy in what I'm doing now, then I'll be able to look back and go, oh, yeah, cool. It's part of the journey. But I'm still not quite there yet in my life where I want to be. So until I get to that point, I still feel a little bit of resentment. But I do know that that's not doing anything for me. Resentment's doing nothing but keeping me in the past and pissing me off. But just because you know that, it's hard to like, it's still, it's still there, you know? Just because you know certain things doesn't mean it doesn't doesn't hurt, you know? That nerve damage, was that something and the injury to your eye? The, the, the nerve damage was because I had, I had a particular procedure on the eye and that procedure went wrong. The injury I got wasn't even that bad of an in, injury. And this was in the Cunningham fight and this is something that you hadn't had before. It was the first eye injury was in that fight. Put it this way, I should never been anywhere near boxing ring that night. They were nowhere near, but I was told otherwise by the best experts, by the best doctors in the world, at the best eye hospital in the world. My story is so unbelievable that it sounds unbelievable and not like unbelievable in a good way, in, in, a, in a shocking, how the fuck was that allowed to happen way? And then if I don't have every single medical, I've got voice for every time I went to an appointment, I put my phone on record and I record the whole appointment. Not to catch anybody out, just because when I talk about inferior rectuses and this and that and orbital flaws, it's so when you have no idea about vision in your eyes and the orbit and how the the connection works from your brain to your eyes and stuff, it's so odd. You just think what that. So I recorded every single one to um so I could listen back to it and understand more and learn about what was going on in my eye because I was getting told things at the beginning that I now know was horrifically wrong. And then after a while, I was thinking, something's happened here. Something hasn't gone away. And I'm, I'm not quite a smart dude. And yeah, I've got every recording on my phone. I don't dare to delete them because I just can't bring myself to delete them. They can't do anything. You know, like They're gone now. Like I was shafted quite badly uh, in numerous ways in the, the initial thing with my boxing career. I was also shafted by the medical system. And that's, uh, that, and that's the thing. It's like, it's not even just the boxing anymore. Like I'm, I'm bitter about the way boxing ended for me, but there is no payoff. My boxing career got stolen from me by other people's fuck-ups. The route I went down, the surgeries I went down, with the wrong surgery to go down. I shouldn't have been that well, the first one was, was wrong and end up having surgeries to undo the first one, which can never get undone because it was, you know, it's all that bitterness. And then I never even got an apology. They're like millions of pounds of compensation, which I should have been entitled to. So I had to leave everything. I had to leave my boxing career. Right? And that's, that's the hard thing. So it's not even just the boxing anymore. It's still the added unfairness. That's why I live with this resentment. You know, Anthony just has such a bittersweet story at times. And um, I haven't seen him at his worst. Like some of this stuff is just mind blowing to me because I wasn't around and I feel bad as a friend for not, not being around, you know, when he was facing all them adversities, preparing for the Olympic Games and throughout his pro career, the health of his mother and stuff like that. But he's just a, a brilliant man for the sport of boxing. He's inspiring. And now his new, well, his, his new world, his new challenges new career as a professional wrestler is just uh it was a great it was brilliant it was just so good so that's the end of part one tune in for part two without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running everything would suddenly stop hospitals factories schools and power plants they all depend on you no matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.